I tell you, we do this because we believe passing faith and passing understanding how God works and how God moves, we believe in passing that to the next generation. I know if we don't pass it to the next generation, it will die with our generation. How many of you know that? We can't risk that, can we? We've got to send this on to those that are coming behind us. So, all right, how many of you vote for a short sermon today? I mean, not, not a show of hands. I asked Eli that this morning. He's like, yes, please. So it's not even worth watching the Packers, so there's nothing to get home to. They're so bad. Anyway. Hey, it ain't worth watching the Colts or the Bears either, so let it go, people. Praise the Lord. Well, we're, we are kind of wrapping our series on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give at uh, the end of sept- or the, September, the end of November, I'm going to give you one more message uh, on, this, on this Come Holy Spirit series about spiritual gifts. I feel like we need to address how spiritual gifts are operating in our lives as well as in the church. And so I want to spend some time. I had an open Sunday before our Christmas series. Can I just say Christmas series is going to be spectacular. It's called Christmas at the Movies. And we're going we're gonna to watch Elf and we're going to watch The Grinch. We're not really going to watch the whole movie, but you sit on the throne of lies. I'm just saying. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna have Elf and we're gonna have uh, the Grinch on the kids Sunday, have our kids together. And then the last Sunday, Christmas Sunday, which is not Christmas Sunday, but the week before that, we're gonna have It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you love It's a Wonderful Life? And we're gonna find biblical truth and things. So here's why we're doing that. Because I believe that there are people in your life, people in your sphere of influence that God has called you to reach and to invite and to bring as an on-ramp to the gospel every Sunday, There'll be a presentation of the gospel, and there'll be an opportunity for people to respond to receive salvation. So this is the time to invite and to bring somebody that God is laying on your heart with you. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. We're going to kind of have a, a whole campaign and process to, to use for that. Uh, but I just want to give you a preview of where we're going. Of course, our Kingdom Builders Conference is going to be amazing. Uh, last Sunday, we surpassed 100% of our Kingdom Builders commitments for this last cycle. So here's what that means. Every missionary got their support in the last six months. Every missionary. Not only that, we were able to pick up a few extra missionaries. Uh, So we're supporting more missionaries than we've ever supported. We were able to fund a a project in Africa. We're going to fund a project in Northern Asia as well before the end of the year. I mean, just stuff happened. We were able to complete outbound. I mean, all the little things that, you know, just sort of come in, we were able to do all that because of your faithfulness. And I believe God will be faithful back to you. So those of you that gave and were part of Kingdom Builders, you are a Kingdom Builder and you are building his kingdom around the world. And I'm thankful to God for you. Amen. Amen. Those of you that aren't, you're going to have, you haven't done that before. That's awesome. But you're going to have a great opportunity the next three Sundays to get involved and see what God will do around the world. All right. One of my favorite things about fall is burning leaves. How many of you love burning leaves? I live now in one of the neighborhoods that I can't burn leaves and it hurts my feelings because there's nothing more I like than a giant pile of leaves on fire. They're just... There's just something about it, right? Like the smell. So I go outside and I smell, you know, other neighborhoods and I'm so, you know, don't tell the Lord, but I'm envious of their ability 
to burn leaves because it's so wonderful. I love fire pits. How many of you like fire, like you like hanging around in the fall or even, let's, you know, even in the winter, fireplace fires. I mean, it's just, it's just the season and I love it. And I love, I love fire. And I think that for, you know, if you go to Disney World at Epcot Center, they had this uh, fireworks show and they would start it with fire and they would say, for thousands of years, humans have gathered around fires for stories and experiences. They'd say stuff like that because it's true, right? Like for thousands of years, humans have always have gathered around fires. And that's where we tell stories. It's where, uh, you know, if you're a spiritual person, if you, if you grew up that way, you know, you gather around a fire. And uh, I remember as a teenager, we have campfires or whatever, and we talk about God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the things God was doing in our life, even as teenagers. So it's just that awesome place. Well, do you know that in Scripture, the best analogy we have for the Holy Spirit is this idea of fire. Did you know that? Did you know that John the Baptist, when he preached in Matthew chapter three, he's going around and he's baptizing people and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says in, in Matthew three eleven, I baptize you with water, those who want to repent of their sins. Thank God that this morning, we're gonna baptize at least six people in water who have given their heart to Jesus. But John is saying that's not the end of this whole thing because somebody is coming soon after me who is greater than I am. How many of you know who he was talking about? Kids, how many of you know who he's talking about? The answer is always Jesus. He's always the answer, right? Never mind. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with he baptizes with fire. It's just this interesting thought that is all throughout Scripture when the Holy Spirit is mentioned. In fact, I believe in the Old Testament uh, when Moses stood at the burning bush that was on fire, that he was encountering the Holy Spirit of God, even though he didn't understand what that was. There were parts there, in the, even in the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit showed up in the same kinds of way. How did Israel follow God by day? Or by night, I mean, by, by night. Fire. You knew what I meant. The pillar of fire by night, right? So we see all through the Bible this symbolism of fire. And I just think, I just would say to you, uh, it's no different today. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, his son in the faith. And this is really, the, the if I had a text this morning, this is my text. I don't really have points today. I, I just want to share some things that are on my heart. For this reason, I remind you. Everybody say, me. I want you to notice it's not necessarily a thing that God does. It's a thing that we do for ourselves. He said, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. And talking about when you got saved, when you gave your heart to Jesus, the Lord deposited the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and to be inside of you. And, and he's, he's equating it to the gift of God. And he's saying to us, uh, fan that gift, fan that spirit in you into flame because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity. We're not to be timid in our faith. How many of you know that? We're not to be afraid in our faith or, or a little bit apprehensive. We're to be strong in our faith and, 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 and powerful. And he says, I've got, not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love. How many of you know we need power and love? And that last one is my favorite one. 
Self-discipline. Ugh. Why do you have to write that? But we have self-discipline because of this gift that's in us. I want to I focus on that idea of fanning into the flame. Paul's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to ignite this spark that's in you. It's like, it's like putting the, the, the fire under the leaves, you know, and then getting the leaf blower and, like, getting it big, you know. That's what you want to do. I'm getting excited about fire. Anybody got a farm I can come burn some leaves? That'd be spectacular. Like you just, you know, or, or, or if, you're a, if you're a grill master and you light, you know, you put the lighter fluid on the charcoal, you're not looking, how many of you know you're not looking for the itty bitty, eensy weensy fire? How many of you like a tiny fire in your fireplace? Baby, you want a roaring fire, right? That puts off the heat. I mean, and that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. He's like, bro, we can't live with just an ember of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need that baby fanned into flame so we can live in this world the things that God wants us to live. So like if you've got just that little bit of ember and you're just sneaking by and getting by, God, the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, listen, my friend, or maybe the last couple of years you've let that, that fire die down, or maybe you got saved decades ago, and through the years there were moments when, baby, man, you were on fire for God, but in the last several years and the last couple, I mean, maybe the last couple of decades, you just let that fire diminish in your heart, and now it's just, it's there, it's a little ember, but it's not what it once was. Paul saying, let's not live like that. Let's fan it into flame. Let's bring that back to life so that God can do in our heart what he wants to do. I love the glowing flame for God. And look, I get it. It ebbs and flows, and our life ebbs and flows, and the passion and desire and drive we have for the Lord, the, 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 the size of that fire, if you will, ebbs and flows through life. But I think when it gets a little bit low, it's time to fan it back into flame. Are you with me? Everybody with me? All right. So Jesus is talking, or Paul's talking, but let's think about the disciples when, when they were with Jesus. They, let's go backwards a little bit. Think about the crazy uh, season of life these disciples had, three years out of their life. And, and Jesus, so, so Jesus comes up on the scene. You know, they're following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and go follow that guy. Don't follow me anymore. Go follow him. So they go follow Jesus, and, you know, and, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. And they're like, this is awesome. He's going to bring the kingdom of God right now to the earth, and we're going to you know, establish the kingdom of David again, and this is just going to be amazing. He'll be king, and I'll be second in command. That's what they all thought. They all believed they were going to be second in command. Nope. He, he dead. We say it this way when people die in movies. We're like, oh, he gone. He gone. Nope, he died. Well, what are we going to do now? Jesus is dead. Wait a minute, he's alive again. I don't understand what's going on. Nope, now for sure nothing's going to happen because why are we eating fish? That was a joke. Somebody told me a couple weeks ago, if you have to tell them it's a joke, it didn't land. It's true. <laughs> Let's go get the Romans. We've got a resurrected Jesus. Let's get the kingdom moving. Now for sure this is going to happen. But what, 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 where is he going? He's like floating away up there into heaven. I guess we'll go to Jerusalem and we'll wait for something. 
They'll probably kill us when we get there, but I guess we'll do what he said and we'll go away. I mean, just think about the back and forth the disciples experienced. And so they go to Jerusalem. Uh, it's after the Passover now. It's 40 days after the Passover. Jesus ascends to heaven, and they go in this, this room. We call it the upper room, and they're waiting there for something because Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait. How many of you love it when the Lord tells you to wait? You're really good at it, I can tell. You're really good at waiting. He said, wait until the promise of the Father comes. Can I just say, they didn't know what they were waiting for. They didn't know what they were looking for. How were they gonna know when the promise of the Father came? when Jesus didn't explain to them what that might look like. But they go and they wait, and the Bible says this in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together in one place, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly. So I make sure you're with me. There was a sound from heaven like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of fire appeared and, and rested, settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Do you think that at one point during that whole moment, we don't know how long it lasted, you know, it could have been hours, could have been minutes, could have been, you know, tens of minutes, we don't know. Do you think that at one point John looked at Peter and said, do you think this is it? Like, is this what we've been waiting for? Because the proof was going to be in the pudding. It must have been an amazing moment to witness the day the church was born. I think the power of that moment was not in the fire, was not in the sound of the wind, was not in the tongues, was not even in the tongues they were speaking. The power of that moment was when Peter finally grew a backbone and stood up and preached the gospel for the first time in history. Empowered by what? The flame that he had fanned in his own soul as he was baptized. What followed was some of the best days the church had ever known. 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost, and after that day, and for however long, the Bible, the Bible doesn't give us like specific timeline, but for however long, they added daily to their number. They were in unity. You know what that means? They weren't fighting with each other. They weren't quabbling. In fact, we gotta get all the way to Acts chapter six before they have a fight, their first fight. So they lived in this place of unity and grace. Why? Why were they living there? Because they had fanned into flame the ember that Jesus had planted that grew into the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why. I want you to not miss that. They fanned it into flame. But then persecution happened. I'm giving you like a rundown of the book of Acts here. The persecution began. Stephen is martyred. He's stoned to death. And the Bible says that everybody scattered except James. James, the brother of Jesus, pastored the church in Jerusalem, and he decided to stay and risk death because persecution began not only from the Jews, but from the Romans. This is known in theological circles as the great skedaddle. I'm glad you left at that because it's not really known as that, but I thought it was funny. It's actually known as the great diaspora and it actually gave birth to the greatest missionary movement in the history of the world until the 20th century. 
More people were saved. In fact, at the end of the book of Acts, it says this about those people that were scattered. It says, hey, these were the ones who turned the world upside down. Can you imagine if the church today would fan into flame the gift of God that's in us again? How the, how the world would be transformed again to welcome Jesus for his second coming? Can you imagine when that day happens? It's going to be like it was in the first century. I think this, if persecution had come to the church before the day of Pentecost, before the people had fanned that into flame, it would have been a very, very different story. Jesus told them all the wonderful things that would happen in the kingdom of God. He told them that the kingdom would come on earth as it was in heaven and that the establishment of his throne and the establishment of the things of God would never end. You know what he didn't tell them? He didn't tell them about the peril they would face and the trouble. He didn't tell them they'd have wives walk out on them. He didn't tell them they'd spend significant portions of their lives in prison, that they would be beaten, chased out of cities, stoned, whipped, and left for dead. In fact, most of the believers who scattered all all over the world in the first century would eventually be martyred for their faith. The only disciple who wasn't was John, John, the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation and it wasn't for lack of trying. They boiled him in oil. Can you imagine being boiled in oil? They boiled him in oil and he survived. Are you praying for death at that moment? Just take me home, Jesus. The cost would be great. It's almost like God knew that if they weren't fanning into flame the gift of God, they would have never been able to do the things and go the places and endure what they endured. They wouldn't have made it. They would have given up and quit. But something happened when they fanned it into flame. Something in them that was for themselves. You You know, never again in the epistles or anywhere else do we find them fighting over who will be second in the kingdom. Like their, their own drive and ambition bowed now to the kingdom of God. Their emotions and their, their needs bowed to the kingdom of God. I mean, read 2 Corinthians when Paul tells us about how he was shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead and all these things that happened to him that also happened to so many other disciples. But when you fan into flame the gift of God, you don't live for yourself anymore. You know what I think? This is Jeff. This is not the Bible. This is just what I think. I think that's one of the reasons that the enemy has tricked the church into pushing aside the gifts of the Holy Spirit and pushing aside the power of the Holy Spirit because he knows that if we don't fan into flame the gift of the Spirit, we're inert. Did you hear what I said? We're inert. See, the devil can handle a little ember in our soul because we won't do much with an ember, right? How many of you know an ember won't burn a pile of leaves unless you fan that ember into flame? And the enemy knows that if he can just keep you at a place where you're punching the clock and the ember's there, so you know you're probably going to heaven, you know, and everything's kind of okay, you know, you're doing some of those things. He knows if he can make you satisfied and content with just a little bit of an ember, you'll never do anything significant for the kingdom of God. You'll never turn the world upside down. Not, not, not only the world, but not even your own world. But if it's fanned into flame... 
If there's a little bit of Holy Spirit breath and wind that's put onto that flame, like a leaf blower under the leaf, I love doing that, like a leaf blower under the leaf pile that just ignites, there's nothing you can't do for the kingdom of God. There's no call of God that is out of your reach. Amen? Many of you believe that? In conclusion, What were these people yearning for? What were they after? They longed for a deeper walk with Jesus. They wanted to know him. They wanted to know his power. Here's how Paul put, Paul put it. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. I, in other words, he's just saying, I don't care about anything anymore. I don't care about money. I don't care about possessions. I don't care about anything compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I just look at us and I think, I look at myself, I look in the mirror and I go, is my fire that kind of fire? Is my passion for God so great that I consider everything in my life loss? compared to knowing him, that it's rubbish, that my paycheck is rubbish in my house and just all these things that I have in my life I mean absolutely nothing compared to the opportunity I have to know God and fan into flame the gift of God that's in me. Can I just say that every one of you has the gift of God in them? I wonder if we're living our life like that. I wonder if we're passionate about the deeper things of God anymore. They wanted a greater understanding of his word. They wanted for all the crevices and the, the, the deep grooves of their life to be exposed so that they could die to themselves over and over and over again. They longed for those who didn't know that they might know the gospel. They longed for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Man, those people in the first century, when they fanned that into flame, did incredible work for the kingdom of God. But so much has changed in 1900 years, hasn't it? Has the world really changed that much? Are people really that different today than they were then? I see the same things that I hear about in history happening today as happened before. How many of you know nothing's new under the sun? People aren't different, people aren't new. There's, the, there's nothing really remarkable or different about this generation than any other generation. And yet the flame of the Holy Spirit lives on in many people, but in many others, it's been diminished. And here's what I want to ask you. One, two, three, four, five, six. I got seven questions I want to ask you. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on them, probably. <laughs> Without the flame of the Holy Spirit, how will you navigate the culture and difficulties of this season? Can I say that again? Without the flame of the Holy Spirit in your soul, how do you think you're gonna navigate it? What's your plan? If you're like, I don't need the Holy Spirit, I'm just gonna figure this thing out on my own. What's your plan to navigate the difficulties of our culture without the power of the Holy Spirit? Because the first century church couldn't do it, how do you think you're going to? 
How will you maintain a strong relationship with Jesus in the face of such incredible temptation all around us, in, in, in the face of so many things that come against the church and the people of God? And it's, I don't know if you noticed, but it's increasing all the more. How will you maintain your walk with Christ with so many distractions? How will you discern the Spirit of God versus the Spirit of the age? Can I say the spirit of the age is very, very different than the spirit of God? How are you going to tell the difference without the flame of the Holy Spirit in your soul? How are you going to know? How will you know the truth from a lie? I mean, isn't this a thing we're dealing with right now all over the country? How will you know the truth? How will you know if that knower, that flame is not alive in you? How will you identify wickedness when it comes disguised as an angel of light? You realize that the enemy shows up and looks pretty sometimes. That wasn't meant like in marriage, I'm just, I'm just saying. How will you identify wickedness when it comes disguised as an angel of light? How will you persevere in your faith when persecution returns? Friends, persecution's coming back to this world. It's already in the world, it's just not here. But can I say it's coming? How will you persevere? And lastly, how will you defeat timidity? How will you defeat fear and intimidation when darkness sets in and is the dominating culture of our society? Darkness will dominate until the flame of the Holy Spirit, the light of God, penetrates the darkness. And I think the Bible's pretty clear. Listen very carefully, friends. The love of most will grow cold. I mean, look around the room. You know what that means? That means that many of us who are sitting here today, I, I want to put the tension in the room on October the 30th, 2022, many of us who fail to fan the flame of our spirit into a flame, that ember, who fail to do that, who blow it off, who don't think it's important, who think you can just slide by and get through life and that's your goal is to arrive safely at death and you don't flame, fan into flame the things of God in your life. Can I just say the Bible says that your love has a very high probability before it's over with of you growing cold. You know what that means? That means when Jesus comes back to gather the saints, you might not be in the number. Look, I'm not trying to, it's not hyperbole for me, okay? It's not like, it's not like, man, I, I hope I can scare him today. That's not it at all. I just want to tell you the truth. If we don't fan into flame the embers of our soul for the things of God, and no one can do it for you, what did he say to Timothy? Timothy, you fan it into flame. Nobody can do it for you. Not your upbringing, not your parents, not the way you were raised, not even your church. You have to fan it into flame yourself. And I just wanna say, look, if you fail to do that, if you don't heed the warning, the likelihood of the love of most growing cold is high. Let's not let that be you. Amen? Let's not let that be me. Let's fan into flame the passion and the things of God, the gift of God in our soul. So I know, I know, some of you the last couple of years, that flame that once was there has diminished. 
it, it's challenging and it's difficult and you don't feel God like you used to and you just, man, I just, whatever, you've fallen into this pattern. And God is saying this morning is the day to fan it back into flame, to bring it back to life. So here's what I want to do. If you're going to get baptized, you can go get ready to get baptized. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. But for everyone else, I want you to stand at your feet right now. I know there are kids here. You know, there's going to come a day when you're old enough and wise enough that the only cry of your heart is that your children know him. Did you hear what I said? It's going to come a day when you're old enough and wise enough that the cry of your heart is that your children have a flame of God in their soul. Guess where that begins? With you. If you have a flame in your soul, if you fanned it into flame, your kids have a far greater likelihood of following in the steps that you lay out. Not a guarantee, but a likelihood. So here's what I want to do. Moms and dads, I want you to have guts this morning. I want us to gather around the altar all across the front, in the aisles, wherever you are. I want you to bring your children. I don't want you to stay back because you've got kids. You grab them by the hand and you bring them up here and you introduce them to the presence of God. You with me? So if you've got guts, if you're brave, we're going to worship. I want you to come right now. Come on, come right now. College students, you come on. You need to fan into flame what God is doing in your heart. Come on. Let's gather up the altar. Let's make room this morning for the Holy Spirit. Let's let him speak to our heart. Come on. If you can make it, I want you to come.